Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. My name is Dan Hafner. Uh, if you're watching this uh, episode, you might see an interesting new look. We're trying this as a brand new uh, immersive look. Uh, Zoom has these really cool new filters, which is kind of neat. Um, so I'm joined by my guest, Sonia, who I'm going to introduce in here in a second. And we're uh, kind of like in a little cafe type of area here. So if you're just listening to this, I highly encourage you. You're missing out on like half the show. It's kind of kind of awesome. Um, Spotify has video podcasts. Now you can watch us on YouTube. You can watch us anywhere else. So anyway, that's my little plug for the show. So if you are watching this or listening, please rate review the show. Um, any kind of shares, any kind of ratings reviews really, really helps the show grow, helps us, um, you know, reach new people, grow the, grow the show reach, anything like that. So wherever you're listening to this or watching this, please take that time to either subscribe, like, rate, or review the podcast or show. All right. Thank you so much for that. Really appreciate it. And welcome Sonia Koto to the show. Uh, she is a female tech entrepreneur. She's going to show us or tell us a little bit about her story and ventures in this world, wonderful world of technology that we so much love. So Sonia, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome to the to dance <laughs> cafe here. Uh, it's going to kind of, kind of a fun thing. Like I, I can look over here and, and talk to you. Right. Uh, I, so, wish I, I wish I had a coffee right now. I know. I know. <laughs> Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself, Sonia. Tell us, tell, how did you get in, how'd you get into this? What kind of ventures have you done? Like, tell us, tell us more about you. Yeah. So I, uh, live in Toronto, Canada. I was originally born in Portugal. I moved to Canada when I was 10 years old and, uh, my career started out in the accounting operations space, mostly around uh, manufacturing. So I worked in that space for quite a few years and I got into tech, by an accident, a recruiter basically reached out to me, uh, telling me there was a tech company that wanted some accounting operations uh, work. So I interviewed, got the job, and that was my foot in the door to, to tech. Um, and I, um, I didn't know anything about the space. I was very lost in the in the first couple of months. But I'm very uh, tenacious, and I like to learn. So I, I'm very curious. So I started very quickly asking questions, um, talking to the developers, the marketing team, and getting involved in things that had nothing to do with me. And that really allowed me to learn the space and all different roles within it. So after a couple of years, I was pretty, you know, well-versed in the tech space. And then um, the company that I had been working for, actually, uh, the original founders, after I had been at the company for over 10 years, got promoted into different uh, uh, areas, um, actually decided to sell the company. And we got bought out by, by one of our clients at the time. And because I had been at the company for so many years, I had, I had been involved in every role of the company. I knew all our clients. I, I, I was involved in two startups that had just originally, uh, had just started out that were part of that company. So they asked me to to run the business. And so the um, founder of that company left and I got left with everything that went along with it, including these two startups that I had been part of the founding team. And at this point, all of the founding team had left the company. So I was left with these two products that I had to make the decision. Do I shelf them, scrap them or what do I do? So oh. I decided to take these two products and basically rebuild them and relaunch them properly because I just didn't feel like they had been executed to their full potential. And so I um, 
I started working on that. I launched Menusano, which is a nutrition analysis software, sort of my my baby. And I actually decided to relaunch it. And I got diagnosed with breast cancer while I was doing that. So um, it is in the, you know, uh, health uh, space. And so uh, I was going through that journey. So it made me even more passionate about the product. I continued working during my my journey, which was really good for me. But I launched a product during that time. And it's now a global company. We're selling it all over the world. It's actually doing really well in the market. We have a couple of large competitors that we're head in head with now. So it's it's a, it's a product I'm really proud of. So yeah, that's sort of me in a nutshell. Wow, well, what a story! Especially when you throw in the breast cancer on on top of all of that. Like, yeah, good. Good. We're we're glad you're here. We're glad that you're all right. And I mean, it's um. Good for you. I mean, that's that's really, really, really amazing story. So, and it sounds like to me, like I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, there's there's a lot of different tangents I could go off of that. I'm curious. Um, you know, when it came to this, these, this stage where you said you had these two products that the founding members had kind of gone away, and you were left with these two. Um, I mean, tell us, tell what was going through your head at that point. Like, what was what were some of the decisions you had to make? What were some of the the things you were up against, you know, were you thinking maybe I'll just go all in with one or maybe I'll lay them both down? Why did you decide to do both? I mean, well, take us through, take us through what was going on in your mind at that point. Yeah. So I was part of the founding team when we started these products and oh, gotcha. oh. it was um, one of, one of them actually, which wasn't Menusano, Field Eagle is the other product, which is in the oil, gas, mining, construction space. I was a little bit more passionate about that product instead of Menusano. Um, but I actually shelved Menusano for about a year just because I felt like what we had done so far to date wasn't didn't hit the mark. And the actual product, once I was able to get into it and really see it, I didn't think that it was ready to be in the market. And it, 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 if we had stayed in the market with it and had substantial growth, the product would not have been able to sustain that. Mm -hmm. So I decided to shelf it and I focused on Field Eagle for a little while because Field Eagle was a enterprise uh, system that was allowing companies like industries like mining able ability to collect data out on the field without having internet access it eliminates basically paper and pen and it allows companies to do inspections on site or collect data on site. And I was very immersed in that product because I was working with a very large mining client that I was managing. And so that product was something I was passionate about. I think I made the right decision in shelving Menusano at the time that I did because everything I did with Field Eagle was a, a, a learning process to make Menusano even better. So while when I finally decided to get back to Menusano, one of the things we learned early on with Menusano was that we had built something that clients didn't want or the industry we were selling to did not want. Because at the time, there was a fear that if people went to a restaurant and they knew what they were eating, they would not want to go back and eat there. Mm. So when I decided to rebuild the product from scratch, built it as a true SaaS product, we, I went and reached out to public health because I knew that uh, the government of Ontario was looking at implementing 
uh, some things to reduce the health bill due to the high rise of diabetes. So after, you know, some connections and, and reaching out, we became part of a pro pilot project in Ontario called the Diner Savvy Program, which was a program that was put together by the Ontario government that would allow them to test if they were going to mandate calories on menus. So Menusama was the tool that was used with public health, dietitians, uh, chefs, all of that. And it really allowed us a whole year of having professionals test the system, which in turn allowed us to make it even better, even though we had already rebuilt it. And then after that uh, pilot was done, we now had a client base because now legislation went into place and restaurants needed to um, provide calories on menus. But it actually turned out during COVID, we discovered that restaurants were not our business. It was actually food manufacturers. And now we've grown the business 80% into food manufacturers globally. Um, so the product's done really, really well. Um, and it was all based on, you know, me making the decision to shelf it just for a little while until I could regroup my thoughts and really put a, a, a well sound strategy around how we could relaunch and get a client base out of this product. And that was also learning from the other product, which is a lot bigger and uh, has a lot more demand and the, the technology behind it is a lot more uh, diverse, but um, it's a, it's a, it was a hard project for me to be on, but it taught me a lot of lessons. And so, yeah, that's sort of like, I know they're, they're completely two different products. So it was hard to switch back and forth. But I'm good at multitasking. I know a lot of people say they're not, but I am. <laughs> I try. Uh, so, yeah, it was just a matter of figuring out what I wanted to do, how I wanted to relaunch, what I didn't want to do that had been done in the past. And I do think that in the past, a lot of decisions were made by a team that was being reactive based on we have a fantastic idea. We can make a million dollars. And when I took over, it was like, yeah, we have a great idea, but we didn't do enough of the research and the work to figure out how we're going to take this to market, how we're going to launch it and market it. It was all this work that needed to be done that had not been done prior. Wow. Very, very interesting. Yeah. It sounds like it was almost like kind of done backwards, right? Like you said, like what you just said there at the end, you know, it was like we had this idea, but then we figured there wasn't like like I've talked about on this show before, some of you who listen regularly will see this, like they went about it wrong, right? Which is okay, like that happens. Um, but that's really, really interesting. And I like this idea that you brought up of shelving ideas because um, just something to add to that too. I think um, that 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 worked out for your benefit, right? Like that actually for multiple reasons, like you had this other thing that you were going and building and making money at and doing, but you learned a lot of lessons from that. <clears throat> but then it also was a blessing because you actually ended up going back and rebuilding this product and it turned out to be a bigger and better thing in the end. Right. So I think like, I think there's a thing, you know, to, to say about that of like, it's okay to shelf ideas for a little while, you know, it's okay yeah. if, if things take a back seat or if it, to, to relaunch and rebrand things, I think at least, you know, at least in my experience, I think a lot of people get hung up on speed, 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 go, 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 launch, launch, launch. It's like this world we live in, just like the hyperactive social media stuff, like the, the startup stuff. It's all about the sexy, you know, numbers of how much can you raise and how much can you do and how many, you know, whatever. But, you know, at the end of the day, like if, if you, it, there's no shame in sh like I've shelved products. I, there is a, there's a product right now I'm sitting on that. I'm like, 
yeah, I've, put, I've this has been on the shelf for like two years almost, you know. Um, and there's one I'm getting ready to launch here in, in a couple of months that was shelved for a couple of months last year. Um, so like, that's okay. And that, that's really, really interesting that, you know, you kind of went down that path. So um, it's very, very cool. I, I, that's, that's a really, really neat thing. So, um, okay. So I'm curious now, like when you, when you went back and you, and you rebuilt stuff and you got ready for another launch again, um, you know, what type of things did you do differently? Like did, it sounded like you had like a little bit better of the product. You kind of, you know, focused on different um, you kind of changed your target audience for the SaaS, right? It's like, and, hey, instead of going after this target, we're going to go after this target. So did you employ any like different growth strategies? Did you employ any different marketing tactics to then grow this and launch this a second time? Yeah. So the first time around, we had uh, marketed for B2B and B2C. So the second time around, I decided not to do the B2C and we decided to be just a B2B company which totally changed our, our marketing strategy. B2B, B2B is very different than, than B2C. Yeah. Social media doesn't work as much. You know, you have to go about it very differently. And then I decided to completely scrap the old product and rebuild it from scratch. So we changed the technology. We made it true SaaS, but we also uh, implemented some AI. In the past, we one of the struggles we had with the product was we're using government source data in our product. And so this data is data that we use that are that's available by pu public health. But it's very messy data. It's not well organized. The search is funky. So when we when I decided to redo it, we decided to implement some AI to organize that data for our users and make it better. So uh, rebuilding the product made it a lot more sophisticated based on what we had learned. And then when we pivoted to food manufacturers, we built all of this functionality that's focused on how they run their business, how they, they how they make and prepare food and package food so that we could provide all the labeling that they needed. So when we relaunched, it was also a pivot and it was very focused on the industry that we wanted to go to, which was food. But. 80% manufacturers. We were still catering to restaurants and, uh, you know, we have like cannabis labels and we have keto, we have all kinds of stuff, but we knew that this was our target, which was food manufacturers. And so we targeted the product for that space. Now we're always building new features. We have a product roadmap and things like that, but it was very vital for us to do that at the time. And that's why I chose to rebuild it because I knew that if we, just shelved it and took it off the shelf and cleaned it up, it was not going to be sufficient, you know, a year later. Technology changes all the time, right? So the the technology we had originally built it in, in order for us to relaunch with it, we would have to do a complete, you know, upgrade in that technology. And now there's like so much up there. And we've also built it with like an infrastructure that can withstand updates and building modules and things like that. So I feel like rebuilding it and relaunching it made sense because it gave us the opportunity to completely rebrand in the B2B space, uh, bring in new technology, make the product better. I mean, one of the things that I get on a regular basis feedback from our customers is that they love the fact that the product is really easy to use. Mm. And that's because when we did the relaunch, we actually went into facilities and we worked with the people that were going to be using the product to see how they wanted to use it. Prior, we had this great idea 
we said everybody's going to want this and we built it based on our understanding of it. So taking a step back and really having time to think about who's our target audience, learning more about that space, being involved in that in those industries so we knew how to speak the language and going in and understanding their workflows gave us way better uh, market share for the product. Yeah. Now that that all makes sense. Very, very, uh, very interesting dynamic there. I like that. Very cool. Well, thank you for that. Okay. Um, so I want to shift gears a little bit so we have time to cover all this. So um, this isn't really something I talk a lot about on the show. I mean, I've actually been interviewing um, a, a lot more um, just a, like a more diverse like type of, you know, avatar or person on the show. Right. Um, but, you know, especially like, you know, speaking of rebuilding and stuff like we're talking with, uh, we met on a platform called Podmatch. So if you guys want to check that out, podmatch.com, shout out to Alex. Alex is coming on the show. He's the founder of Podmatch soon. Um, and they went through a whole rebuild of this. So um, I'm really excited to dive into how that whole process went. So for those of you listening, uh, stay tuned for that. That's going to be a really fun one. Um, but, you know, you're, you're, um, you say it in your, in your pop profile, you know, you're a woman in tech, like that was, it's a male dominated industry. Um, but yet you've been able to, to succeed, to stand out. It's not like you're the only woman that's ever done this, but you know, you're definitely, um, you know, kicking ass and, and good for you. And that's awesome. So, um, you know, was there anything that, you know, you could pass on to, you know, any, anybody listening to the show or like any piece of advice or anything that's, it's like, you know, other than like, Hey, yeah, you know, don't, don't give up or don't quit. Like anything, like anything specific in this, in this industry at all. Honestly, I, this is a topic that gets brought up with me every single time on I'm on. And there's always like, there's different viewpoints and opinions and things like that. Um, and I'm pretty straightforward with it. Like, I don't think there's a particular reason why I got into tech. Yes. It's a male dominated space. And, and to be really frank, I don't think I would be where I am if it wasn't for the males uh, supporting me and giving me the platform to to grow and learn. Um, for me personally, and this is different for everybody, for me personally, how I was able to get into it and grow was just by doing the work. I, I went above and beyond to learn. I didn't just, you know, come in every day, sit at my desk and do the tasks that I was assigned and the and stay in the box of the role I was given. I made it a point to go outside of that. And, you know, if they were in the boardroom having a meeting, I would ask if I could join and be a fly on the wall. If they were sitting in the back room having a strategy around, you know, how to fix a problem that they were having, I would I would join. And they always welcomed me, welcomed me and and helped, you know, wanted me to be part of it. Not that I was contributing at the time, but that gave me an opportunity just to listen to the types of conversations they were having. And then later on, when I did get into the director of operations role, I made a point to physically do every single role or as many roles as I could. So, um, you know, I, I, I was already doing operations. I had done accounting. Uh, so I wanted to learn how to do business analysis. So at the time, we had somebody who had left and someone new that was coming in. So I asked to fill that gap in between. And so I actually worked on a real project and I was doing the business analysis and it allowed me to learn. 
I've done project management on many different projects over and over again. Like I said, the one product that we are in mining, I managed one of our biggest uh, mining clients and I did that for about five years. So, and then, you know, I know how to do QA. I know how to do product management. I can sit down with my team and tell them, this is what I need you to do. This is how I need you to build that because I was curious and I got involved. And really that's what led me from starting, you know, at the bottom and going up. Now, I don't think it's fair to say you can start, you know, in an accounting position, all of a sudden go into a director position and then, you know, run the company, which is what I'm doing now. I think you have to be willing to go through the learning process and go through the ropes of, okay, I'm here and now I've learned this. Now I'm going to get a promotion and I'm going to go into that role because there was a lot it wasn't just the roles that I learned along the way. It was also how to manage people and what to say and what not to say and how to speak to clients and how to manage clients. There was all these things that I was able to learn along the way. So my advice to anyone is, you know, if you're in an environment where you're supported and they're encouraging, be curious and get involved in things that are outside of your normal role so that you can grow and learn and then get into different roles. Yeah. Amen. That's awesome. I mean, it's, it sounds like, you know, there's, I can't think of a story off the top of my head or an example off the top of my head, but you know, you think of um, there's a lot of things you hear a lot where people who were, you know, became successful entrepreneurs or successful owners kind of were like that Swiss army knife somewhere along the line. They had an experience. They weren't like a master of one thing, super, super well and expertise, um, one area, I'm just good at this one thing, but they kind of were that, that jack of all trades, a Swiss army knife. And I think that's kind of what leads to being a successful CEO. Just like you said, like kind of, or, or even a startup founder for, for any kind of platform or, you know, a company or whatever is kind of knowing what those different roles do instead of just being the dictator of like, I expect you to do this. And, and it's like, you don't appreciate how hard this actually is. Right. Ah. Uh, and you know what, too? People people appreciate you. People listen and yeah. they respect you because you've been there and you've done it. And a lot of times my my team will come to me and they're like, we're stuck. We need help. And I, I'm able to come in and, and, and I know the, the role that that department's in and what they're doing and what they're struggling with. And I can come in and help them solve those problems because I've been there and I've done it. You know, they can probably do it better than me. That's why I hired them. But I do, I can bring in, you know, a perspective that they, they don't have and help them problem solve. And that's what I try to do with every department, right? I let them sort of, I'm not a micromanager. I let them go off and do their thing. And then I step in when they really need help solving problems. And I'm you know what? Solver. What's that? I'm a problem solver. Well, you know, that's, you couldn't have made a better, better segue for me to my last question. That was my last, well, not my last, my next question was, you know, this concept of problem solving. You mentioned this on your, on your PodMatch stuff. It's, you know, can you explain to us um, like your personal process, at least maybe there's a different process for different departments and larger people problems, but you know, you, you, you've obviously faced a lot of complex challenges over the course of your career, you know, uh, whether it was building a new product or relaunching a product or, I can't even imagine the details of the oil and gas software and like all the different stuff. Like there's probably a lot that goes into it. So what's your, um, you know, what's your process for like breaking down complex problems and then, and then ultimately solving them? Keep it simple. 
Yeah, I I work with a team that of diverse individuals that you know I love them to death, but they can they tend sometimes to overcomplicate things, and I find that in tech that's a very common yeah thing. You know, like you wanna you wanna build a bridge, and you know I'm sure you're in tech. You've seen the that that drawing of the the client said they wanted a, a swing with a tire and the developers built an entire creative around it right yeah. <laughs> and i know this is the concept of you know i want to build a bridge to cross over to the other side and you've built me a rocket ship to cross over to the other side so i think what i well not i mm. think what i try to do with my team is i try to be the person that keeps things simple because their minds when they get into something it's like an accountant that's trying to do a reconciliation and they're off by a penny. And they're like, the more they try to reconcile and find that penny, the lot they're never going to find it because they're just now so ingrained in it, in it that they're, it's just going to be impossible. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's nice to bring in like an outside perspective. And I always think like our customers think. I want something that I can go in, do ABC, log out and get out. Our team is always thinking of, I want to log in and I want to make sure that it authenticates and I want to make sure that it has this. And then I want to be able to go in and do that, but it needs, it needs all of these other parts to it. So they're so ingrained in all, all the smaller details that they're not looking at like the bigger picture. So when I come in, I can bring in the perspective of, okay, guys, let's step it back for a second. What are you trying to achieve? Okay. We want to build a bridge to cross to the other side. Okay. Why are you using that technology? That technology is for a rocket ship. So can we like scale it back? How can we do that? So really what I do is I challenge them and I ask questions based on my mindset around, I'm going to use this and I'm not a technical, I'm not a developer. I want to be able to go in, do ABC. So how can I do that with you guys building something that I understand is not overcomplicated? So I try to keep everything simple. I have, I sometimes my, my team hates me, but sometimes when they're overcomplicating things, I'll put stuff all over the, the office that says, keep it simple or think like a client or don't overcomplicate it just so they can think about that process. But that's really my thought process. I'm always keep it simple, take a step back, look at what we're trying to achieve and what we've done and what, how can we scale it back and keep it simple? I mean, I know development is not as easy as I'm making it sound. I do sound sometimes like I over, over um, keep I, like some people overcomplicate. I make things a little bit over, like like it's too easy. But I do think going into it with a simple, like especially for startups, like if you pick the wrong technologies to build like an MVP or something like that it could end up costing you so much more money. Like an MVP should take you three to six months to build and get to market, right? So if you pick the right technologies, it's going to keep your costs low. Like, should you go with Azure, right, for your MVP? Azure is not cheap, right? Maybe not, maybe not yet. Maybe we build a platform based on something completely different that's only going to cost us a little bit just so we can launch the MVP, get it to market, start getting client feedback. And then when we rebuild based on what we've learned, now it can be more robust, right? But you don't have to build something so robust right from the get-go because there's cost implications with that as well, not just overcomplicating it, but all that other stuff, right? And then when when you're 
stuck to a particular technology or platforms or whatever it may be, your product's going to be around for the next 10, 20, 30 years. I have seen companies drop clients because they now have to bring up their prices because they're stuck on these platforms that they've built in and they're losing clients by the thousands. Mm -hmm. I'm actually going through a competitor of ours that's doing that now. And I, you know, it might sound like a great strategy from the start, but long-term it might not be. And that's the other thing you have to think long-term. If you're building a product that's going to go to market and you want it to be around for the next 10, 20, 30 years, what are your costs to that point? So I try to keep things simple. Great answer. Great answer. That's a, that's really, really helpful. So no, I, I, I gotta say I'm, I'm even guilty as charged there. Like I see what you're talking about is I saw your face when I was saying it. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, cause I, you know, it, kind of in the midst and for those of you who followed the show, I've been kind of alluding to this launch of this new product that I'm coming up on. And, uh, and I am, cause I I'm doing it all by myself and it's just like, I, I want to just see if this works. I haven't hired anybody cause I build my own stuff anyway. And, uh, and I can see myself doing that around where, like you, like somebody like that can just come in and just, I want to solve this thing and do this thing. And then that's it. But the developer, the developer mind is always thinking of like, well, we need this and we need this and this has to scale this way. And this has to be, and, and it, it, it's tough to switch between both of that, which is now why it's, you know, you see more of the value in a UX person and then a, you know, a, a QA tester and the developer and the business development people and that kind of stuff. It's why when you really want, you know, like really successful tech platforms, like you do need an entire team for this type of stuff because everyone's mind works differently. And that's, that's where I find it is like, I have to switch from developer mode into client mode, into marketer mode with, with this one specific thing that I'm doing. Um, yeah. So I kind of, I, I kind of get, I, I get that hundred percent for sure. One of the things I always emphasize when I'm talking to founders or startups is documentation. And mm. I find that most people don't know anything about it. First of all, they don't know the value. Like a business analyst's job is to basically document everything right. that you're going to build and hand that over to the developer to, to do. And now the developer's job is a lot easier. So I do think also like the documentation part is something critical that doesn't get done as often as it should. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, for sure. Um, wow, very cool. Lots of lots of cool nuggets in here today. This has been really <laughs> been really fun. Um, okay, just one more thing I wanted to talk about. You know, but and this is kind of more of a marketing type of question, not really like you know in, inside of this stuff. But you know, um, tell us how you how you continue with this this growth mindset. Like, you know, when you have this, so you go back and you redo this tool and, you, and you're ready to get going again. And you kind of told us a little bit what you did and stuff specifically, but then I'm like inside of just mindset around like, how do, how do you as a tech founder um, continue to, to push the envelope? Even now that you've reached this level of you're a global company, you sell what you sell all over the world. You have big, you're in, you're playing, you're in the deep end, so to speak, right? Like you're, you're swimming with the big fish. How do you maintain that now at this level of we need to grow, we need to do this? Is there a different mind? Is it kind of less foot on the gas? Is it more foot on the gas? Like tell tell us, tell us a little bit about what you got going on. Yeah, for me, it's more foot on the gas for sure. Okay. Um, 
one of the things that like I think is very valuable is the industry that you're in go to events for those industries that's really where you're going to get to meet people and you're going to understand the ins and outs of those industries where do they go and look for their marketing like should you be advertising in a magazine is online and seo enough and pay-per-clicks and things like that or if that's not bringing you any value and it's not you know substantially growing your business what do you need to be doing what are your competitors doing right so I think that's sort of what that's something that I always try to do. And, you know, anybody who knows me knows I'm always at events. I'm always out and about and I'm learning the lingual. One thing that I did uh, late last year that I found really valuable, I started what I what I like to call our customer board. So product managers um, are in charge of creating the product roadmap, right? So for uh, our products, I'm the product manager. I work with the teams, but I want to be in control of that. And our roadmaps are always based on, you know, features that we want to build in the product, based on nice-to-haves, oh, this is such a cool tool, let's build it in. So I've turned it around, and I've built this customer board that allows our paying clients to tell us what we're going to build on our roadmap, not us. We're nice. just techies, right? We just want to build cool stuff. Yeah, let's put some AI because it's a buzzword. No, no, no. I've taken it completely back and I said, okay, how can we keep growing? Well, we're going to keep growing by building things that are valuable to the industries that we're in and to the clients that we're already servicing. Your, your best clients are your existing clients. So we can now have the opportunity to even upsell to our existing clients and bring on new clients. So the, the, the roadmap that we build for each quarter is always based on, you know, 10 items that our clients are asking for. And then we'll do one item that's our nice to have. That's going to, you know, give the product some what I call fluff, right? So it could hmm. be AI to make it easier for the client. But, you know, at the end of the day, if we build an AI tool that's going to make search functionality easier, does that really bring the client value or is it having this one piece that they just click a button and it does what they need, right? So I've started this board and I'm getting really good feedback uh, from clients. Also, another thing that I still do, and th every time I go to a meeting, customers are like, oh, you're here. I try to attend all of our demo meetings with our salespeople. And in a lot of cases, I will do the demo myself. Now, it's getting harder and harder for me to do that. So I do tell our, our salespeople, you know, try to book me in at least a couple of times a week where I'm in your sales meetings and I'm doing the demo. And that's because I want to hear what customers are saying. I want to hear the feedback of what they said of the demo. Were they looking for something that we didn't have? And whenever I show up to these meetings and they introduce me, customers are like, oh, you're the founder of the product and you're here. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I want to be engaged and I want to know what, what you're thinking. And they really appreciate that because then there's a person behind it. But I yeah. think it's really, you know, taking the time to understand what our customers want, not just building cool tech. That's a really cool idea. I like this customer board idea you know i mean so so just like a more logistical question in, inside of that like how do you get that from clients is it just you being observant in those meetings of 
hey, they say they want this, they want this, they want the other thing? Is it like an actual thing in the software where they can submit a feature request? Um, in combination of all that. Okay. We okay. have uh, uh, something in the software where they can submit the submissions. Then there's the meeting. So our salespeople will will take notes of things they're looking for and, and send it to me. I'll take it from the meeting as well. But in our newsletters, our monthly newsletters, we have a customer board section where we tell them the things that we finished, the things that we're working on now, and the things on the list from the board that we're going to be working on next. Wow. And then we have a monthly meeting with actual clients. So I'll send out an email individually and I'll say, I'm going to be having a customer board meeting on January 31st. And I'm going to have, you know, five, eight, 10 people on who's interested. And I'll make sure that there's no competing companies within those uh, meetings. And then I'll bring them on. And, you know, usually it's about a 30, it's kind of like a round table with my customers. And uh, I'll understand what their challenges are around working with our software and what would make their life easier. And some of them are like, Sonia, like, I, we absolutely love the software, but I just don't get this one part. You guys built it, but it's like, and then I'm like, oh my God, that's such an easy fix. All we have to do is just change that one word. Um, so I do try to do that once a month with uh, the customer board and I'll actually bring on clients that are interested in telling us. And our customers have embraced this because the product roadmap allows them to get the features that they want without them having to pay extra for it. So customization you know, you usually have to pay for customization. So now here they have a list of customization that they want to the product and they're not going to pay for it because they're contributing to, to, the, to the roadmap. And then I take it a step further. And if there's a client that wants, let's say they want an API to a very specific system that we've never worked with before. We tell the client, you know what? We're going to put this in our roadmap but you're going to work with us and you're going to test this feature for us. And you're going to tell us how you want this to work mm. with our business analyst. And we're going to work with you to get the requirements and we're going to build it exactly to your specs. And then we're going to generalize it and, and, and launch it and you're going to test it. And they're like, yeah, I get it. I get it for free without having to pay for it. Yeah, I'm down. I'll work with you. And it's just, it's a really good relationship and it builds trust with our clients. We're not there just to, sell you something we genuinely care about you this product being valuable to your business i love that idea like i'm i'm infatuated with that i like i really kind of want to figure out a way to do that in the next platform that i'm launching too like that's really because i think you think you, we all here we all are familiar with like the board of a company it's like the big secret cabal in their hoods and like no you know what i mean but um but a customer board that's really interesting because you know, like you could say, okay, I need, I want, I want customers to be involved in this. Um, maybe they could invest in it. And then they're like, they're invested in it or something, but then you kind of like, there's like an equity giveaway, like that kind of stuff like that doesn't, but like this, like they're invested in it because one, they know you care Two, Like you said, they actually get to have input on where they would like to see the product that they already pay for go. Yeah. I mean, that's such a cool idea. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> That is really, really, it, really, really neat. You know what? It's 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 a really good idea. And I think more companies should really focus on that, right? Because they wow. you know, you don't you don't look like a greedy company. You actually look like a company. And I mean, I ideally 
we're not trying to look, we are a company that generally we want our clients to be with us for the next 10, 20 years. So if they're contributing, contributing to our product, they're contributing to our growth as well. Hmm. Right. Yeah. So it's a win-win. It is. That's such, such a cool idea. Such a cool idea. For those of you listening that like, take notes on that one. That's a good, <laughs> that's a good one. That's a really good one. All right. Um, well, let's wrap this up. Um, Tonya, thank you so much for joining. Where can we go to find out more? Um, anything, any, um, you know, pages you'd like to like to share with us here? Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn, Sonia Kuro. Uh, I have a website where you can access all of my information. So it's actually soniakuro.com. So it's S-O-N-I-A-C-O-U-T-O.com. And there I have links to all my other companies, sites, podcasts, everything. So yeah. And hit me up. I always message people back. Don't feel afraid to reach out. Awesome. Awesome. And for those of you listening or watching this show or those links will be in the show notes as well. So, um, well, once again, thank you, Sonia, for coming on. Really appreciate it. This was really, really fun, really interesting conversation. Thank you for coming on. Um, hope to have you back someday. So, um, thank you so much again. Thank you all for listening. Really appreciate all of you and your loyal support. Um, please, if you're still here, please share this with at least one person. That's always my mission for everyone. Um, share it on YouTube, share it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are listening to the show. Um, more and more people um, have been giving us really good feedback on how the show's going, the structure of what we talk about, all the content, all the guests. Um, so we're just really trying to grow this to as many people as possible. So um, thank you very much, Sonia. Really appreciate you coming on. And we will talk to you guys in the next episode. I'll see you there.